I'm excited to, uh, yeah, tone me down just a little bit. I'm excited to preach this sermon from Philippians 2. It's, it's a big passage, and I, I've been humbled under its weight. Um, I just got this new app on my phone. It's called HeartWatch. It does Pulse. I didn't t- turn off the notifications. My, my, uh, my watch is like, high alert, high alert. <laughs> like, my pulse is very high. <laughs> um, I'm excited. Just think of what, the, what happens if the Holy Spirit brings his anointing. This thing might, like, explode off of my wrist. That's what I'm praying for, at least. Let's see what God is up to. Um, let's pray together. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Thank you for uh, being with me during the preparation of this sermon. I must admit it was humbling to me. But thank you for that humility. Thank you for driving me to the very place, the very thing you want to talk about. Um, So I, I just pray that you would bless each person here. I don't know all the things that are rambling through their minds. I just pray that for this next 20, 25 minutes or so, we would just be able to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. Give us eyes that can see Jesus. Give us ears that can hear what you want us to hear. We give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible app, you can turn to Philippians 2, or you have a Bible if you're old school. Still like seeing the Bibles, the old, you know. But I do have the the scripture up on the screen as well, so let's read this together. Verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2 of Philippians. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The word of the Lord. As an introduction for today's sermon, I uh, would like to play just a quick video excerpt from a movie called Parenthood. Uh, In this particular scene, the father, who's played by Steve Martin, has learned that his wife, uh, played by Mary Steenburgen, she's pregnant again. And he's worrying out loud that this new child might not turn out okay. In fact, he's just worrying about all of his children, that they may grow up and they just may turn out to be a mess. So he's full of anxiety, and he's sharing that anxiety with his wife. And right at that moment, his grandmother walks in and tells this story, seemingly unrelated, about a roller coaster ride. So, let's take a look. They're going to do a lot of things. I mean, baseball's the least of them. And all those things, sometimes they're going to miss. 
Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they will. What do you want me to give you? Guarantees? These are kids, not appliances. Life is messy. messy. You know, when I was 19, Grandpa took me on a roller coaster. Oh? Up, down, up, down. Oh, what a ride. What a great story. I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so... So excited and and so thrilled all together. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around. Nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. Well, I'll be seeing you in the car. Very smart lady. Come on, Taylor, your ears are ready. Yeah, a minute ago I was really confused about life, and then Grandma came in with her wonderful and affecting roller coaster story, and now everything's great again. I happen to like the roller coaster, okay? As far as I'm concerned, your grandmother is brilliant. Come on, Taylor. Come on, hurry up. Yeah, if she's so brilliant, how come she's sitting in our neighbor's car? Life is messy. Parenting, messy. Just being a kid, growing up in this world, messy. It's often beyond our control. And we can have two responses to the mess. We can play it safe, choose the merry-go-round, or jump back on the roller coaster and enjoy the ride. As we preach through the book of Philippians, which choice do you think the Apostle Paul wants us to make? Was Paul a merry-go-round guy, or was he a roller coaster man? I think you know the answer. Paul chose to place himself on this roller coaster ride of the Christian life, of preaching the gospel time in and time out. And we will find from our passage today, so does Jesus Christ. Our passage begins with these two short little words. One of those words is so, and one is if. The word so, it's a connecting word, connecting this passage in chapter two to everything that Paul talked about in chapter one. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything in the chapter. Instead, I just want to focus on the end of that chapter, which says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now still here I have now. If you follow Christ, you will suffer. Paul is a clear example of this truth even as he writes this book of Philippians from jail. Paul wants us to understand that suffering is inevitable for us as Christians. Without that understanding, you will never 
understand what he's trying to get at in chapter 2. It's the whole reason he connects the two. And then there's this other small little word, if. This conditional word, if. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy, if. Now, by adding this condition, Paul does not doubt that there is actual encouragement and comfort in Christ. He knows there is. He doesn't even doubt that that type of encouragement exists in the Philippian church. He knows it does. He adds the condition, if, to stir them up and cause them to think that they are currently experiencing his encouragement and love. Paul is reminding them that past encouragements in Christ are good, but they're not as powerful as present ones. He is reminding them to keep their faith in Christ in the present moment, relevant for today, and applicable for up-to-date circumstances. Why? Because life is messy, and new sufferings are always around the corner. There's always a temptation for us to get off the ride and settle for the illusion of safety. And Paul simply wants to explode that illusion. There's a quote from one of the commentaries I was reading, and I think it says it best. We have the quote for you. This one author says, The Philippians appear to be a a healthy congregation in contrast to the troubled groups in both Corinth and Galatia. So can they then relax and rest? Paul's answer is an emphatic no. The world is too perilous and the gospel too glorious for them to be content with past achievements. Paul wants the Philippians completely alert. He wants them on the roller coaster. Not the merry-go-round. He wants the same for you. He wants the same for me. You know that moment, that first hill, the roller coaster? Right before that initial descent? You know what I'm talking about, right? The click, 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 click. Heart pumping. Senses fully alive. That what Paul's desire is for us in our spiritual lives. Alive in the present moment, not living out of the past spiritual accomplishments of our life. No matter how important they are, no matter how much grace God gave in those moments. Then, Paul follows up with this condition. He follows the condition with a command, complete my joy. And then he even tells us how to do it by being unified as a church body. Be one in spirit and one in mind. Bob Haynes did a great job of explaining this unity in his sermon last week. He made this comparison, which I thought was brilliant. Um, He made this comparison between non-miraculous unity, the kind that we can achieve when we surround ourselves with people exactly like ourselves, and then he compared that to miraculous unity, which can only be found in Christ. 
Paul has no interest in non-miraculous unity because it does not show off the power of God's Spirit. Only God's Spirit can create genuine unity between people of different races, different genders, different political views, so on and so on. It has to be His Spirit. Anything we try to achieve with the power of men and women, it just doesn't show off the power of God. Now, the Philippians church, it was wildly diverse. If you go to Acts 16, you can see some of this diversity that existed in that church. The church included Lydia, a wealthy Jewish businesswoman who had converted. There was a slave girl. Remember the slave girl? She was most likely Greek. And also the Roman jailer who Paul and Silas preached the word of God to while they were previously in jail. You know, New Life Church is similar in many ways to this church in Philippi, especially in the area of diversity. Now, we have great strides that need to be made in this area, especially in our leadership. But if you compare us to 20 years ago, we are light years ahead of where we were by God's grace. And I I praise God for this growth because it's an outflow of his grace that he's extending to us. Like the Philippians, we are working to complete the joy of Paul as he preaches to us in the book of Philippians. In our passage, Paul goes on to share some very practical ways to maintain this unity as a church body. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. In humility. With that key word, our passage takes a turn towards the glory of God. Paul presents Jesus Christ as the perfect model of humility. He takes us on this wild roller coaster ride of Jesus Christ, his pre existence, his incarnation, his death, ascension, exaltation, and he does it all in six verses. And I, I just have to admit, publicly that I feel very inadequate to preach this. It is so glorious. It is so great. Father, please help me. Jesus Christ existed as the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time, before creation, before anything that we know as real came into existence. We just, just pause to take that in. Also, Jesus was all glorious. He needed nothing outside of himself to find worth. He, as God, was the ultimate worth, the ultimate good, everything that matters. He was all powerful. As part of the Godhead, he spoke creation into existence. Genesis tells us that God spoke one word and all of creation came into being. The Gospel of John chapter 1 makes it clear that that word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, was with God and was God. Through him all things were created and made. That word is Jesus Christ. Now, imagine that you're a spectator 
watching all of this happen in front of your eyes. God speaks one word, and there is an explosion of matter, and all things come into existence. The universe, planets, stars, sun, earth, land, and sea, and everything in them. Everything from elephants to ants, whales to penguins, plants of all kinds, from the giant sequoias to grapevines and blueberry bushes. And the culmination of all this wild, passionate creation is the conception of man and woman made in the image of God in all of its beauty and complexity. Again, let's just pause. Take it in. We have to, we run by these things. We have read these things way too many times. those of us who have been Christians for a while. But, as we know, in sinful rebellion against God, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. And we worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. The nature of man was planted a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. But it became a corrupt and wild vine, producing the grapes of Sodom and the clusters of Gomorrah. Oh, how the gold has lost its luster, and the fine gold become dull. But God, in all of his mercy, knew something had to be done. He had to do something so his beloved creation could be restored. He alone had to do something for sinful men and women to be reconciled back in relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In all of his creativity, compassion, and love, he decides to send his own son, Jesus, to earth in the form of a human being. In the greatest act of unexpected humility, Jesus, who is God, comes, chooses to come to earth as a human being. Paul, in this passage, describes it as Jesus emptying himself by being born in the likeness of men, taking on human form. He who laid the earth's foundation, who marked off its dimension while the morning stars sang and the angels shouted for joy, this God became the infant Jesus Christ. Think of the humility he who gave orders to the morning and showed the dawn its place had to have his mother Mary clean his soiled diapers. He had to learn the Jewish language like every other toddler in Nazareth. The humility of this. Again, pause and take it in. Apostle Paul tells us even more. Jesus Christ not only took on human form, but he also took on the form of a servant. There are many expressions of this in the life of Jesus Christ. One of the clearest examples is when Jesus chooses to wash the feet of the disciples. In heaven, the angels serve Jesus as king. This is the proper universal order of things, is it not? But Jesus flips that order right on its head 
as he serves and washes the, the feet of his disciples. Another really important example of this is Christ's humility in Scripture in his submission to the Father. If you want to do this fascinating Bible study, go through the book of John sometime, the Gospel of John, and look for all the times that Jesus talks about his submission to God the Father. I'll point out only one instance of it in, in chapter 5 of John, verse 30, which says, I, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus Christ, being equal with God the Father, did not consider that equality something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the role of a son, perfectly submissive to his heavenly Father. Now that's phenomenal. Supernatural, of a different kind, of anything that we had ever seen on this earth until the moment that Jesus Christ became a man. We would be wise to learn this type of submission. Lord, I pray only for a knowledge of your will and the power to carry it out. All of this humility leads Christ to the cross. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross was not only the most amazing act of humility the world has ever known, it was also complete humiliation. That is exactly how the Romans intended it to be. In crucifixion, the Romans didn't just want to kill their enemies. They wanted to completely and utterly humiliate them. And Jesus chose to endure this humiliation as God's own servant, considering human beings more important than himself. He put our need for salvation and reconciliation with God above all else. So he would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the triumph of our Messiah. Amen. Now by doing all of this, Jesus revealed the true nature of God's kingdom. The currency of God's economy is humility. Most of you know I just got back from a trip to Japan. If you're a first-time visitor here today, let me just bring you quickly up to speed. Our church sent out a group of six people, including myself, and we went as a short-term mission trip to visit one of our missionaries in Sendai, Japan. In Japan, you can't use American dollars to buy anything. You have to use the yen. If you were in Israel, you would have to use new shekels. In India, it would be rupees. Well, in the kingdom of God, in order to survive and thrive, you need humility. It is the currency. The kingdom of God does not work 
without humility. Paul wants us to rely on the power of Christ's own humility and humiliation by considering others more important than ourselves. But let's be honest. This type of humility is not prevalent in the American church today. We struggle for it here at New Life Church. We as Americans, we have this independent streak in us. And often it feels like, not just in this church, but just I think in leadership in general, it often feels like people are saying, lead me, lead me, don't tell me what to do. Lead me, come on, lead me, don't tell me what to do. That's the challenge that we as Americans have in our hearts. As one of your pastors, sometimes I use this analogy that it's a little bit like herding cats at times. Now, I like cats. I have a cat at home. Nothing wrong with cats. But it was Bob in one of his sermons that said, cats are not made in the image of God. And they certainly aren't any role model for us when it comes to our relationship with each other. We are way too independent. We, now notice I'm saying we here. I'm, I know, I've looked at my own heart. That, that part about lead me, lead me, Lord, don't tell me what to do, that, 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 that goes deep for me. So we, we're just way too in, independent. So when we act like cats, independent of anyone, including God, the church does, just doesn't work because we are not living out of our true nature. Our true nature is in Christ to be exactly like him. Paul, following Jesus, is looking for a different mindset from all of us. He says, make my joy complete by having the same mind, having one mind in love for one another. He states it clearly in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This unity, this mind of unity is already ours in Christ. Humble, submissive, sacrificial, considering others above ourselves. That is the mindset. Lord, please give us this mindset. This mindset is what will attract an unbelieving world to Jesus Christ. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. If people are not beating down the doors of the church, including our church, then there's a real possibility that we, like, we lack Christ's humility and the unity that flows from that humility. We have to search out our hearts, every single one of us. You know, Paul is the ultimate pastor. I love reading Paul. I love his letters because he has a pastor's heart. He loves the Philippians so much. He says it clearly to them right in the beginning of the book. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. As one of your pastors, I understand this love. It's the way I feel about you. I have you in my heart. So now with love, I offer us all this challenge. Let's make 
the apostle joys Paul let's make the apostle Paul's joy complete by being like-minded with each other following Christ in his humility love and sacrifice it is our way of getting off the merry-go-round and jumping back on the roller coaster ride which is the Christian life amen